Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. Matt Slater with us as usual. And our guest today is Aisha Johansson, who is a member of the FIFA Council, the main decision-making body of world football. Previously, she was president of the Sierra Leone Football Association, one of only a few women in the world to have headed a national football association. Aisha is also owner and CEO of Sierra Leone National Premier League Club, FC Johansson, the club she started to provide guidance and opportunities to children whose lives had been disrupted by civil war. She's also been involved in campaigns to help and encourage women and girls to play football. Aisha, thank you very much for doing this. We normally begin these podcasts by asking people to tell us how they've got to the position they're in now and a little bit of background before we then go wherever we go. I sense if I asked you to tell me how you've got to where you you are now and a bit of your background, that your answer could take the whole 45 minutes of the podcast, maybe. <laughs> You're probably right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long story. It's, it's, it's quite a journey. It has been quite a journey and it continues to be, actually. Take us through where you are now and then we'll unravel some of how you got to where you are. So your current roles are what? So currently I am... Um, a, a CAF executive uh, committee member, uh, i.e. the director of a, uh, the CAF executive, and I'm also a FIFA council member, the only African female at the council representing Africa. So that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm also the founder of a Premier League club called FC Johansson, but my son is now the CEO, so he's running that, uh, thank God. I mean, and this is a club that, you know, I started in 2004, just after our civil war. Some of these guys are actually playing now, the African nations, and it's an extremely emotional and, and very proud moment for me. Is there one of those roles that's more challenging than any other? I was the president of the Slovenian Football Association and um, I stepped down uh, from the race, from going into the second round in June of last year. Now, I think that's what brought me into prominence. And uh, I think, you know, if the name FC Johansson, you know, during those formative years of grooming the boys, putting them back in schools, taking them off the streets, that was all good. And traveling out of the country and trying to rebrand the country through football with these young boys. So as opposed to being child, a, a, a country with child soldiers and you know, all the gruesome things you would hear about earlier during those war years, I used football to change that narrative. That was challenging, but it was very enjoyable, you know. Um, and, and I loved it. No regrets there. But um, and then when I was elected as president of the Sierra Leone Football Association, that was a rude awakening. It really was in terms of just what it takes to be into football governance. You know, I consider myself a football administrator and as a fan of a, a club, which was not a Premier League club. It was just a, it was a street kids and we just rose up the ranks, you know, from community leagues and everything. That was one thing. But as a woman, 
taking on the nation, of running football for the nation and the, the political angle and stakeholders and every all, 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 everything else. It's, um, I, I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't even know it. So that was the fight. That was a challenge. And that's what, for good, for bad, for ugly, you know, that's what really just um, shot me into the spotlight, that fight uh, to stay in the game and to turn the game around to change the entrenched corruption and everything else that, that was there in football in Sierra Leone. So, yeah, that was very challenging. And that's really the story. And that's the struggle. You used a really interesting line there right at the start of talking about it. You know, on this podcast, virtually every week, people talk about branding or rebranding yeah. or, you know, you actually talked about rebranding a country. Forget a football club. You said I had to re. oh, I wanted to rebrand the country. That's true. So, you, you know, Sierra Leone, beautiful, tiny West African country, now with 7 million people, rich in minerals, um, natural resources, everything going for the country. Once upon a time in the olden days, if you go back into history, it referred to as being the Athens of Africa in terms of civilization, growth, and, and what's And like I said, it's a small country, very manageable, everything there. Somewhere along the lines, it, there was decline, corruption, everything that you could think about. And the country just went downhill. And then came the war, you know, one of the most brutal wars in, in, in modern history, you know, with the, the, the blood diamonds and everything that you've heard about. And so Sierra Leone went into a really, really dark place. And every time you tuned in and the media, the international media, you'd hear about Sierra Leone, it was this war-stricken country, child soldiers. You know, when you hear about child soldiers, it was Sierra Leone. You immediately equate that to Sierra Leone. And so, and so that's where it was. Now, I, you know, my father is a banker and um, he was a banker. He's very old now. But he was one of the co-founders and the CEO of the biggest football club in Sierra Leone still, very established. It's called Eastern Lions. It's the equivalent to like, Manchester United, you know, they're reds, they're loud, they're big, huge following. And that was my own introduction from the age of five, ten. I, he'd take me to the stadium. And so football was there. I knew the power of football. And so when I started going back to Sierra Leone, you know, you could not help but to see what caused, you know, lots of displaced, lots of orphans. There were lots of displaced children, lots of orphan kids after war years, you know, typical scenario of what happens after a war. It started, I just took these kids and I said, I need to put you back into school. Some of them had parents, some of them didn't have street kids, the whole lot. It's a really long, uh, interesting story, powerful story of just taking them off the streets, putting them back in school. A lot of them didn't want to go back to school, but for me, it was, it's either school or no football. And they so desperately wanted to play football. That's all they did anyway. And so I lured them with boots, with balls. But then the school, it had to be after school uh, um, lessons. And I would go and check the schools. I'd check their report cards and everything to make sure they, whether they passed or not, whether they did well was insignificant. I just wanted them to stay in school. My ex-husband was then the honorary consul to Norway and Sweden. Uh, he's, he's Norwegian. One day he, he was contacted to say, I, I, I heard what your wife is doing with regards to this, this team, because I also hosted leagues, some community leagues as well in the country. So they said, you know, would, would you like to come to Sweden for an, an international youth competition and under 15 or under 14, something I can't remember. It was, it, it was in Timrå, a place called Timrå in Sweden, Mitz Norden Cup. 
that's right, the Mitzlord and Cub. And so that's it. So we, that's how the story started. We went and um, we came back to the medalist. And our story was told and everybody in Sweden, they were writing about these war-torn kids. And so I said to them, I said, listen, this is what they know us for. So you've got to come out here in Europe and show them that there's something bigger and better. You've got talents, you know, uh, th th there's a power of football. You, you guys have that. So forget about all this guns thing and whatever. You guys aren't child soldiers, you're not killers or anything like that. And so it went on and on. And then we started getting invited. And the next time around, we were gold medalists. And then we were invited to Las Vegas, for the Mayor's Cup. And then we were invited to Real <laughs> Madrid, uh, you know, Youth Cup. And the boys did a carving for Zidane. And it was then when we got there and I saw all these countries, all these young footballers representing their country. And I said to my husband, then I said, you know what? I'm going to replicate this in my country. I said, there's, look at the, the rest of the world, all these young players coming to represent their country. They're, 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 represent, they're, branding, they're branding their country. I said, I'm going to rebrand my country. Because every time we went out, people are saying, oh, but do you guys not have a war? Uh, you know, as if to say, what are you doing here? You've got no business being here. You guys should still be fighting. Uh, it, it was that, that kind of implied reaction. What are you doing here? You know, and do you play football? And I was like, do I look like, you know, I'm war ravaged or anything like that? So yeah. I decided I was going to come back and do this. And I did. And the, the first African international youth tournament, I hosted it. F.C. Hansen hosted it in the country for two years. We brought Cruzeros from Brazil. We did an under 17 and we did an under 20. We had teams from Senegal, Nigeria, Gambia, Norway. This was all before I declared to run for president. It was never, never on the cards for me. I was just about building a club, a youth team. We went in from the second division to the first division and then, you know, on an unbeaten run in the Premier League. And we've stayed there since uh, 2011, doing reasonably well, despite all the challenges, you know, Ebola, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that journey was focused on using football to change the perception about Sierra Leone. Yes, we have challenges. Yes, there's all sorts. But, you know, that that whole thing, that stigma of a country ravaged by this and, and the kids and most of the boys, the kids are child soldiers or whatever it was you know, that the media had portrayed and, you know, the public had bought. Not that it didn't happen, it did, but I'm, I'm just saying the overall perception. And I just, you know, use the power of football to change that and also to help the kids as well and their families and, you know, show the kids, um, you know, how important it is to stay in school, to be educated because their big dream. And of course, David Beckham came to Sierra Leone as a UN ambassador he's with Eunice and the kids just you know literally they were in tears and we had our banners and we made a shirt for him Beckham seven you know FC Johansson and he took pictures and he you know kicked the ball around with the boys and unforgettable these boys are they most of them got kids now they always they relive that moment you know when they heard David Beckham was coming and they just fell to their knees they couldn't believe this was happening you know it's been a very very fortunate club and every player and their grandmother wanted to be part of FC Johansson because they were just a real positive, inspirational team, you know, that gave them hope. Our slogan is chasing the dream. 
And that's exactly what I, I, I try to instill in these boys, that everybody has a dream. Everybody dreams. But, you know, what do you do with these dreams? You have to chase these dreams, bring them to reality. And that's what they have in them still. And some of them, like I said now, on this center stage, the African Nations Cup, chasing their dreams and uh, it becoming a reality to one day play for their country. Having to teach these boys, taking them off the streets, they'd never seen a toilet, a proper toilet or proper showers. And I was taking these kids to Europe. Um, you know, it's boreholes. They would use the toilets and boreholes, having to teach them, you know, to use a toilet roll, wash your hands, having to teach them to use cutlery and how to sit down and, and eat, they'd expect to eat cereal and, uh, you know, and um, proper breakfast and not what they were used to having or maybe in some cases not having. Uh, and I would say to them that, you know, I want you when you come to Europe, people stare at you not for the wrong reasons. They stare at you not because you don't know how to use a fork and knife. They stare at you not because you probably don't know how to sit on a toilet seat or something. I said, I want them to stare at you and be in awe of you because of your talent and how you play football. And so... This is all part of this rebranding that I'm saying. It was just absolutely changing our perception, how we saw ourselves, one, and how the world saw saw us as, as a people, as a nation, as a country. Aisha, that sounds like a, a it's Matt here. It that sounds like a, a remarkable journey, and and you certainly, I think, have changed the image and the, you know it's it's a it's a successful rebranding. So so well done. Our brand is the business of sport. And we often talk about money. Yeah. Just on on the the league itself, I'm looking at it. I can see you know you're there in the Sierra Leone Premier League, which is again you know kudos to you. You know I can see East End Lions there. Your your father's old team in second place. There's, the season's up and running. I mean that has been a problem, hasn't it? The actual yeah. the actual playing of of professional yeah. professional football yeah. back at home is your team. Is it making money? Is it sustainable? Again, this is part of the, the struggle over the years before I came into football and before I was the president of the SLFA I don't know how they made money or how they thought they could make money but clearly money was being made but not in the right way and it wasn't channeled properly okay so all this talk about the match fixing and all the other dodgy behavior you know that was going on if it was happening the clubs weren't profiting you know, from that. So when I came in, it was fraught with problems because obviously there were all these challenges and we wanted to create a proper platform where, yes, clubs could make money, players could earn a decent salary, et cetera, et cetera, as it should be. Now, that was um, almost impossible because there was sabotage upon sabotage by stakeholders and political influence. So it stifled the growth of the Premier League, of football in general. And so are we making money? No. How is um, football being subsidised in, in Sierra Leone? During my time, FIFA would actually give us the money to start the league and to give the players something. Um, if you want to look at gate takings, gate takings doesn't bring that much at all. How much would a ticket cost to go and watch a, a Premier League match? It's less than a pound. Wow. You know, mm. uh, when um, the international matches, you know, when we have qualifiers or we've got friendlies uh, and then everybody wants to, to go, the open stand is the equivalent of maybe three pounds. 
uh, or something like that. The VIP is probably something to the equivalent of 40 pounds, dollars, sorry, uh, $50, I don't even think up to. Uh, you can't afford to, to do it. So money isn't made for anybody. Nobody really makes any money. You just get by. You get by. Is there a TV contract, Aisha? We don't have any of that. You know, in Sierra Leone, with the basket load of talents that we have, like I said, because there was so much in fighting, so much interference, it just killed our Premier League. It killed, it stifled football. It is only now the government has decided that, okay, they will put money into the Premier League now to encourage. But it's only the money that they put in there, it's only to keep the games going to run the league, if you like, you know, paying for that, paying for match commissioners, paying for the officials, the running of the league, the real benefits, it's not there, financial benefits. Well, that sounds like, a. I mean, you, you've mentioned in your, your earlier answer about the challenges. I mean, what a, what a huge challenge there. Yeah. A few weeks ago, we had um, Hisham El Amrani on, the, the former the former CAF general secretary. Oh, yes, yeah, exactly. Sure. So who, who, who I'm sure you'll know well. And we got talking about the challenges that African football faces. And he very, very quickly came to, I think, where you're at. That it, The clubs are important. You've got to get your structures right from the bottom. You've got to build this pyramid. Right. You know, Africa's got, Africa's got to do it itself. What's the most important thing you think that Sierra Leone has to get right? And, I'm, and then there's a sort of second part to that. Obviously, everyone knows that you're, that you're, you're close to FIFA. You know, you have a role at the FIFA Council now. Um, and one of the ideas that Gianni Infantino has is a is a African Super League. Now we've obviously been talking about it here in Europe a lot, uh-huh. and it didn't go down so well. But but maybe in Africa, it it is the solution. I mean, is is, is there any sort of mileage in that? Uh, to a large extent, yes. I knew you guys would not be able to stop yourselves from from asking me these uh, questions because obviously not everybody agrees with the Super League or they look at it suspiciously. The fact is, we need the money. We need to make money. We need to find ways of making money. In Sierra Leone's case, we have to start from scratch, okay? Whatever the government gives, like I said, fine. It's the clubs. We've got to find ways of uh, creating monies, you know, sponsorships, advertising. You know, we've got banks, we've got insurance companies, we've got all these these, these uh, institutions. They don't have the economy, just can't take it. They Everybody loves the football, but it is a struggle to get these sponsorships, you know, because when you look at it, it seems to me also that the governments are also looking to these institutions to give them that money or to help them give us the money. So we don't have a situation where we can get some money from the governments, then we go to the institutions, to the advertising companies, or it's, it's, it's a dire economic situation. And to be honest, I can't tell you that I've got one particular solution for our case. The Super League, we talk about it a lot. We talk about it in CAF. I think our president, Otsepe, is very much of the opinion that um, this could be a good thing for us. It's a dire situation that we find ourselves in having to generate income uh, for the clubs, one which I don't think we have a solution to right now. But the other interesting thing, Aisha, and this this was the discussion that we had when we spoke to Hisham, was how much Europeans tend to lump Africa all together as a continent, and yet there are differences between, as obviously between every single country. So how much is it desirable that Africa is lumped together for everybody to work together? Or how much does each country have its own separate needs? Because 
Sierra Leone is, is different to South Africa, is different to Egypt, is different to Nigeria? We're all the same. Honestly, when it really comes down to the crux of things, Africans are Africans. Maybe the culture's slightly different, but in terms of the mindset, in terms of even the challenges, social challenges, we are the same. Fine, Nigeria's economy, the, the numbers in their country, you can't compare that to Sierra Leone. So obviously there's a lot more money. The kind of money that Nigeria's Premier League is moving, shifting, Sierra Leone doesn't have anywhere close to that, not even the Gambia, not Liberia, you know, these, these other uh, smaller countries. But in terms of the challenges and the mindset, be it political, be it uh, social, we are all the same. That is why in CAF, we don't really struggle that much in terms of trying to understand where we want to go. The only thing is when it comes to money, that's why you see just a few countries or maybe one country, no, two countries are able to host competitions and that's Egypt and Morocco because they've got the financial basket or weight as it were to carry us all and that should not be the case and that is why we're trying to work together if there is a super league that super league should be able to be beneficial to all of us in the African continent working with Europe as opposed to being a separate entity I've never subscribed to that ever. Hence, like I said, you going back to the African International Youth Tournament, this is what it was all about. It was all about the rest of the world coming to Africa to see Africa through football, through the eyes of football, having to know how we could work together. It was, it was about more than just 90 minutes on the pitch. It was about football being more than 90 minutes. And it's this growth uh, that, that you're talking about and whether we can work together. Uh, I don't subscribe to that. But I know that if we in Africa, we want to grow, charity begins at home. We've got to start by working together and building football together as a continent. Because at the end of the day, look, if we were to go to the World Cup, uh, we wouldn't be playing for the rest of the world. We will be playing for Africa. What about if you went to a World Cup every two years? Would that would that help you as a continent? <laughs> you guys are so predictable. It's unbelievable. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was until yeah. you mentioned the World Cup. Actually, Aisha, that wasn't going to be that wasn't going to be my next question. But it was as be that was your answer, I'll I'll follow on. These are proposals that have been forwarded by FIFA again because we want to open up the game. Open the game up to as many participants and many countries as possible. Yes, we hear, FIFA hears the concerns about overstretching, about diluting the game, about the players with the toll it'll take on their bodies, et cetera, et cetera, which is why Arsene Wenger is out there saying that this is not final. These are proposals. We're open to discussions. You know, we have to disagree in order to agree. I think some people are taking it as a final. You know, it may not happen. It may be that, okay, well, fine. It really just can't work. But I think that the whole direction here is about opening the game up. It's about other countries, smaller countries, African countries, other countries in, in other parts of the, 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 the other continents, being able to access the World Cup and being able to be given opportunities rather than it just being centered around a chosen few, if you like, or a fortunate few. This is my understanding. I think this is FIFA's understanding and, and again, which is subject and open to discussions and debates and uh, to see just how feasible it is. And if it isn't, it isn't. I think the agenda is nothing 
more than or other than to give other countries opportunities, more opportunities, and to open and open the game up a bit more. If we go back to where you started and go to watch football with your dad and then how you use football as a, as a force for change and that football is such a force for, for good and uh, none of us would ever, ever disagree with that. As you've risen through the football sort of power hierarchy and through various boardrooms and committees, has your faith in football ever wavered? It's strengthened because I see the power of football. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost scary to be quite honest. Maybe I'm fortunate to see a lot more, be privy to a lot more than most, because like you said, being in the boardroom and being privy to, or even part of the power and the changes that you can make through football, not just for for country, but for the world, it's incredible. And that power obviously is something that if, if you don't use it properly, it can be misconstrued and it, it can be very hurtful to many so you know that's why I say it's scary but my faith has not wavered I am just so lucky and I feel very lucky and blessed to be in the position where I am because I'm learning I'm learning a lot about people I'm learning a lot about this football the tool itself and how you can use it for good because um uh, it's it's also got the power to destroy and to be destructive it also has the power to attract a lot of destructive elements. I've seen that firsthand in my country. And I see this play itself out in other parts of the country where if you don't get the balance right with this football and the power that it has, you know, you can go very, very wrong very quickly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Sorry, I'm going to return to biennial World Cups briefly. I totally understand the argument from, from Africa and elsewhere about opening up opportunities, and it's a compelling argument. I wonder how it sits, though, with one of the roles, I don't know if you've taken it on formally or it was just, you know, you volunteered. You, you were at COP26 representing FIFA, representing sort of football in many ways. How do bigger, more regular, more frequent World Cups with more teams sit with an environmental agenda. You must have um, uh, listened to Gianni Infantino. You listened to his opening. I did, yes, yes. We spoke about, he did mention about how we were going to try to, in terms of transportation and, you know, the, the, the flights and our users and our clients, how we were going to work with them to cut down on emissions. Again, like I said, these are things that we are, deliberating on. We realize that we have put ourselves up there at the, the, the forefront to say that we want this to be every two years. And that means that we're going to, in the eyes of many people be thinking, but you know, you do that more in, you know, then you're going to increase the chances of giving up all these gases, you know, mm -hmm. you won't be helping the situation. It will be increased. So we are looking at ways that we're going to circumvent this. Well, I can definitely see how any organization, any company can do things to mitigate 
the uh, environmental impacts of what they do. But fundamentally, getting bigger and more frequent, you're going to be doing more damage, aren't you? I mean, I just, I just don't see how those two things um, could be squared. But you see, that's what I'm saying is that a lot of the, the things that people are saying, oh, but this is going to happen, that is going to happen. I've, I've said to you before that we are looking at, these are proposals, we are looking at the situation very, very closely. Where it is that we know that we will be causing more harm than good, we're not going to go down that road. FIFA's not going to go down that road because we're going to have ourselves to blame and we're going to have to explain to the world as to why you're being part of a problem instead of you know, being the solution to that problem. We are engaged and engaging ourselves with clients, do you understand? And, and knowing how we as FIFA, we owe this to the world, you understand? We're not going to have a massive tournament like this for the world to come only to make things worse. You know, we are here for good. So if you're saying that I'm going to give you definite answers here, that this is what we're going to do, we promise that we can land this. I can't do that because it is a process. We're still engaging and seeing what role and which part we're going to play and play it well and ensure that, you know, our side of, of the job that we're doing, you understand, we cannot be held accountable for making this problem bigger. If anything, we are here to ensure that um, we're here for the good, the good of the game and the good of the environment. Good. Okay, well, that's great. I mean, that's fair enough. And I couldn't I couldn't ask you to do any more right now. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. if it was that easy, we'd, we'd, we'd solve it all tomorrow, wouldn't we? One other sort of narrative, you know, line of criticism that comes up, and, it, and I think it is this, and we've sort of hinted at it already during this conversation, CAF and FIFA are close at the moment. In fact, FIFA has had to intervene and almost run CAF for a while. It's not doing it so obviously now, but it did for a while just because CAF was having some issues. And that has led to this suggestion of colonialism again, that Africa is is not standing on its own two feet. It's being run by a European-based body. And it came up again even a few months ago, about a month ago, actually, in the conversation around would AFCON happen or not and decisions were being made outside of Africa you know CAF's representatives all went to Doha to talk about it and I know that there was criticism back in Africa about this I mean that was perhaps a bit unfair because just you know football meetings take place where football's going on and that's that's neither here nor there but it was this idea I think it was tied to this this close involvement FIFA has had in African football affairs do you think that's fair and how do you how do you how does Africa genuinely take charge of its destiny? Right. FIFA is the world governing body. Confederations, be it Asia, Africa, they also have their own body. The member associations have their own rules and what have you, their statutes, but they are governed by CAF and FIFA. If a confederation like uh, CAF is running into problems or has problems. I see nothing wrong with a parent body. Now we're talking about a family now. I see nothing wrong with the parent body stepping in to say, look, okay, this house is not order. This is not the way we do it in the house, or this isn't the way you were brought up to do it. I see nothing wrong with FIFA sending Fatma Samura or coming in to say, what is going on here? There seems to be some dysfunctional behavior going on. There's an outcry out there. It was only, it wasn't in an attempt to run CAF. It was in an attempt to examine what was going on. Can we help? 
maybe we should come in and just help if certain people can't see eye to eye, if things are going astray and people are overwhelmed, we're only humans, you know, be you the CAF president or not. And the CAF president is only one person. He's got a string of his, his, his exco members. He's got, and these exco members have got their own member associations or they're part of the member associations. It's a big long line. So this whole bit about colonial, there's a fine line here. Again, what I was saying to you that I have nothing against Africa and the international world or Europe merging. And if I were to have carried on as the FA president, you would see more and more interaction between uh, international, you know, social responsibility, things that to, to do, do it together because we are one so you know when it suits people oh we're fine we're africans when it doesn't suit people oh there's colonialism there's racism and you know i don't buy that at all the way i saw it because i was there at the time when fatma came in i i was an exco member it was in an attempt to say let there be sanity and calmness let us sit down as a family let us look at this situation it wasn't in an attempt for people to say, right, you know what, we're going to have another arm, uh, you, you, you know, put you, you guys here, we will be running you because you can't do it by yourself. How does CAF move on? How does it genuinely sort of establish itself and say, no, look, you know, there was an intervention. That's fine. We're good now. Now we're going to be CAF and we're going to take our place around the table with, you know, with UEFA and CONCACAF and CONMEBOL. And that is exactly what we're doing. You know, you move on. Like I said, there was a time there was a lot of instability and a lot of uncertainty. The optics weren't good. And so if, if you're struggling and a big brother or the, the head of the family says, well, hold on, hold on. You guys need to, to calm down. Let's have a look at this situation. And then you move on. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's exactly what happened. So now we're on a stronger, better footing, a better understanding. We're definitely not going to go back to that place before. We'll be the laughing stock. Nobody wants that. Mistakes happen. Some mistakes are made and they're out in the limelight. Others' uh, mistakes are made and they sweep it under the carpet. They keep it in the quiet. Ours came out full blown, you know, that, oh gosh, look at Africa. And you know, the thing is, oh, look at Africa. They can't, uh, do, 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 you know, they can't run. They can't do anything by themselves. They need help. They need this, that, and the other. Those were the, the, the kind of comments that were being uh, made. But I'm sure in other parts of the world, they go through same, similar, perhaps even worse, but it's just not blown out. So, you know, how does CAF move on? We are moving on. Look at the African Nations Cup, like you said, despite, you know, talk about going to Doha to have to deliberate. We didn't do that. There was a CAF Expo meeting. You know, you can have a CAF Expo meeting. We had a CAF Expo meeting here, in Africa in Africa. Nobody was saying anything was wrong about that. You know, you can have a CAF meeting anywhere that you, you converge or you're able to converge. It doesn't mean because you do it there, those people hosting or the country, they, they're the ones who are taking the decision or helping you to make the decision again. You know, there's, uh, you know, things get distorted uh, sometimes and um, it, it's nice for clarity, uh, which I, I hope I've given a little bit of clarity to, towards that. We will always have problems. Nothing will be running smoothly. It doesn't run smoothly in the English Premier League. It doesn't, you, you know, and, and many others. It's, it's not, it's so powerful and so complex uh, uh, football administration. We know that. But we enjoy the game so much that you tend to kind of like forget these problems, you know, yeah. at the end of the day. <laughs> and you get on with, 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 with things. So it's a learning curve. The more challenges, the better. I'd rather there weren't that many challenges. But with, with every challenge, 
however we come out of it and we move forward it's a big learning process for me and uh, for many others and especially being a woman in this industry um, it's healthy it's good I'm enjoying it. How challenging is it being a woman in this industry in 2022? I think it's getting better I think that um, compared to even before I came on the scene when I when I came on the scene as a football administrator at the, the top top level football governance there was um, Lydia Sikera of Burundi I think she was the only um, female FA president then there was another woman from Liberia who was uh, in the normalization committee and she was there in, in governance and so it was the two of us and in FIFA she was definitely the first female African to to be in the FIFA council and so she kind of like inspired me. The challenges were huge during my time. And I just mentioned to you my, my country. It was awful what I had to go through, the intimidation, the sexism, the bullying, the political interference, all in one, almost impossible, actually. But, um, but over the years, with all the movements going on, you know, about women's empowerment and, and calling people out, especially in Europe and to an extent in, in, in Africa. Some parts of Africa, they're stronger with their gender uh, movements than others. I, I think it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's easier, uh, but it gives us a lot more confidence to say that, look, yes, we can do it. No, we won't give up. We can be heard. Our voices can be heard because they look to me. They look to the Lydia's. They look to other women as well who've been in challenging uh, male driven or male dominated industries and we've survived it and we've risen above it and so it's it's a lot easier I mean they can shout and their voices will be heard before I'm not so sure they would have heard anything I mean the, the requirements of the FIFA council just on the on the FIFA website do you say a minimum of one female representative must be elected per confederation and if you go through the council members it is a minimum of one per confederation so it, it, which is a start, I suppose, Aisha. Yes, yes, yes. yes well, and, and that's it, exactly what I was saying. You know, before it was a bit of a daunting experience. You know, your voice just would not have been heard, you know, let alone you be seen. I think it'll get better even with the member associations. It is, there is a requirement that in the executive membership, there has to be a minimum of one woman. And that's where it all starts. It starts from your member association moving, moving forward. So um, it is a good start. I mean, look, 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 look at the women's leagues. Look at all the things that we're trying to bring to the fore in Africa for women. Um, it's, it's not, again, such a daunting no, no, no uh, experience or situation. It's a yes, we can. And yes, we will situation and um uh, we're getting there exciting times when you sit on that fifa council what 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 are the is there one challenge that is affecting the game more than any other globally i mean is that is that sustainability and and climate or is is it impossible to say there is one issue that affects us all yeah oh no it's it's, it's not i mean for now the now thing you know obviously climate change very, very important. How can you go and say that we want to um, develop football and we're all about football if the climate is under uh, or, or the planet is under threat? It doesn't make sense. So for now, I would say one of the most important things on the agenda is to be very, very, very aware of uh, our environment, the climate in which we operate uh, in on a daily, 
minute by minute basis, which is football. And you have other issues as well. Like I said, you know, every continent, every member association has its own uh, problems, problems which may start as being a small issue and then they mushroom uh, and it, it becomes a, a much bigger issue. I mean, race is something which I think is, is, is one thing that people shouldn't overlook and treat as a, a, a small issue because now, as you can see, it, it threatens leagues. Uh, now and again, you hear, you know, you know, of all the incidents, it's not nice for the game. So, you know, issues come and issues go and, you know, it's dealt with accordingly, appropriately, as it should be done to the best uh, uh, of our capacity, really. But um, it, it's not just a FIFA council thing. It's a, a collective decision. It's all of you, you know, how you perceive things, how you discuss things, how you put things out. Um, um, and I always say that, you, you know, with, with journalists, people shy away from journalists. I'm not because it's all about engaging. They may have a particular opinion, you know, based on how they see it and based on how a lot of other people see it. And we on the inside, uh, you know, it's to engage. And it's up to you also to help uh, to bring about that change, that meaningful, uh, um, healthy and um, genuine change. I, I completely agree, Aisha. So we talked about you using football to, to rebrand Sierra Leone and the image that there was of Sierra Leone. We talk about bringing about change. Can football and can global tournaments be used to rebrand countries that may hold sexist views, racist views, homophobic views? Should sport be going to countries that treat maybe women or uh, or gay people, the LGBT community, that treat them in a, in a way that, that they should not be treated? Discrimination has a low tolerance in FIFA, any form of discrimination. So all of the above that you've just mentioned, it's a big tick for me. Yes, 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 and yes. Because again, that is the power of football. It knows no boundaries, no creed, color, religion, gender. In my opinion, it doesn't. Now, Sierra Leone has come to a standstill. I wonder whether people even go to work. You know, the last time we qualified for the African Nations Cup was 26 years ago, 26 years ago. Tomorrow we will pay, play our last match that hopefully, hopefully will get us out of the group stage. They don't do anything but um, football. But there was a time when football was marred with all sorts of discrimination. Well, mainly the, 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 this that, that, that I'm talking about with the woman coming in, leading, what have you. You have other countries. Look at Saudi. Look at how they, they're rising or making, you know, attempts to rise above that. Women can now go and watch games, this and uh, uh, the other. Um, I strongly believe that football has an unspoken language and power that is second to none. And wherever we can use football to enforce meaningful, genuine change, effective change, we should use it because these guys are on the pitch. They don't speak the same language. They speak the language of football. The crowds, they go, they're cheering. They don't speak the same language, Argentina versus Africa. They don't, they, they, they don't um, speak the same language, but they hear it, you know, and they communicate and they, they're receptive in the same way. The emotions are the same. So, yes, um, I, I actually definitely agree that where we can, if allowed, if you all agree to that, you should all push for that as well. You know, that we would like to see football going beyond 90 minutes on the pitch 
and doing a lot more good for the world. We will leave it there, Aisha. Thanks very much for talking to us. Uh, really appreciate it. Obviously, there were some obvious questions thrown in there. I didn't want to disappoint. I knew it. Thank you. Uh, if I was a gambler and if I was betting, I would have made a lot of money. Ah. <laughs> Thank you so Good much, stuff. guys. All right. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Uh, right, that's it. You can subscribe to The Athletic now and get a 33% discount. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. And I'll be back on Monday for The Athletic Football Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.